Welcome to Only Today, a Gathering Mana podcast, where Catholic moms can find practical tips, help, and advice that will equip them to live more joyfully in their vocations as mothers and wives. Welcome back to the Gathering Mana Only Today podcast Lenten Mission 2019. Our theme is Let Us Get Up and Go. This phrase comes from John 14, 31, as Jesus warns his disciples that the time was at hand for his testing and theirs, and he wanted them to go with him through it. The ruler of the world draws near. Let us get up and go, he says, and he invites us to do the same this Lent. In this podcast mission, we are dwelling with Jesus in the last days of his life in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 21. Last week, we sat with the disciples and listened to Jesus' heart as he broke the sad news to them of what was to come, but also the good news of what was to come after his death. Jesus gave us four promises last week that we're clinging to, and we've been asking Jesus our own questions as we read. And I challenged you last session to ask those questions each day, and I'm hoping that you will share with me some of the insights that you've been coming to in your own time with him as you ponder his words. We're asking Jesus this Lent, what hurts you? Is there anything in my life that grieves your heart today? How can I make you happy today? What do you want from me today? Last session, we were in John 14, and we're continuing to linger with Jesus today in John 15, as he opens his heart even more to us, to share with us the secret of how his kingdom comes on this earth, in us. I'm so excited to invite dear St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, who is a dear saint companion to me. She is one of my very favorites, and I've been studying her now for over a year and reading everything that I can about what she has to say. And we're going to invite her into this week's session to share with us through her writings on one of her favorite subjects, dwelling with God. She's going to expand on her Lord's words in John 15 and bring it a little closer home for us too. Elizabeth was a young Carmelite nun in Dijon, France, and oh, how I wish we have time to discuss her story and her biography here, but uh, that will just have to wait for another podcast. I will, however, include my favorite books about her for you in the episode notes, so you can begin to discover the dynamic treasure of her teachings on your own. Somewhat of a contemporary of St. Therese of Lisieux, Elizabeth brings her own beautiful depth and personality today to expand on Jesus' words here in Scripture. So, just like last week, we're going to read John 15 very slowly, and then we'll go back and gather and glean the manna that he has for us today in this beautiful passage. So let's read John 15 slowly now. Chapter 15, The Vine and the Branches I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that he does he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own, 
unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire, and they will be burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have told you everything I heard from my father. It was not you who chose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, love one another. If the world hates you, realize that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love its own, but because you do not belong to the world and I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. No slave is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But as it is, they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me also hates my father. If I had not done works among them that no one else had ever did, they would not have sin. But as it is, they have both seen and hated both me and my father. But in order that the, wor the word written in their law might be fulfilled, they hated me without cause. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth that proceeds from the Father, he will testify to me, and you also will testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. So we see here in John 15 that the key to all joy and fruitfulness is remaining in him. See. Contrary to the popular mantra, you're not enough. He says, remain in me, that I may be in you, and that your joy 
may be full or complete, as this translation says. You're not able to manufacture your own actualization, your own perfect interior joy, peace, or contentment or fulfillment. You were never designed to be your own engineer in these areas. If you haven't figured out that you can't do this on your own effectively, I invite you to come to a final knowledge of that today with your will. Jesus is making it very clear to you today that as you stand and sit here, you are in fact not enough. That seems to fly in the face of what we're hearing all over the, you know, the television and social media, but it's true. In order to achieve your maximum potential as a human being, you require a supernatural infusion of divine grace, companionship, and spiritual food. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. In order to be fully happy, content, fulfilled, centered, and at peace, you have to be routinely, regularly, and perpetually connected to the fresh, life-giving blood and presence of Christ. Sorry, friends, that's the only way. The Bible cautions us not to be fools in the book of Proverbs. A fool is someone who rushes headlong to their own destruction, who never stops to listen, who repeats mistakes over and over again, who believes the ranting in his head over the spoken and eternal word of God about their souls, who they are, and what they are for. In the modern world today, American Christians in particular exhibit extremely foolhardy behavior. Excessive busyness, constant stimulation, a laissez-faire attitude toward our interior life, an avoidance of scripture and meditation, which results in spiritual lethargy, and a fixation on appearances. These are the idols that are going to take us down, my friend, unless we actively guard against them with our very life. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, say the Proverbs. All these idols that I just mentioned, everything that I just listed off for you, are the ways that we show that we don't believe God when he says, narrow is the way. Every one of those things is a veiled denial of the claim of God on our lives. Ask yourself all the ways that you are living as if there is no God, like the fool that the Proverbs describes. Are we trying to be our own enough in terms of our spiritual life, growth, and activity when God has told us that we are nothing without Him? All of us do it in little ways and big ways, and it's foolish, and it's going to make us very sad and very lonely because it's not who you are. We must remain in Him. So how do we guard against these idols and these things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God in our life? How do we remain in Him? By cultivating life in the reality of who we are. See, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Scripture, and the Saints, reality is not believing everything that you see and feel. 
a lot of that is not reality. Reality is that heaven, as Elizabeth shares with us, is right now. It begins now. And all around us is the kingdom of God if we enter in. We enter the true reality of God in our souls through abiding in Jesus. Here's Elizabeth to expand. Abide in me. The word of God is the one who gives this command, who expresses this will. Abide in me, not for a few moments, a few hours that pass by, but abide in me in a permanent and habitual way. Abide in me, pray in me, adore in me, love in me, suffer in me, work and act in me. Abide in me in your dealings with anyone and anything, always entering more deeply in me. End quote. Another beautiful quote from her says, Such is Christ's last wish, his supreme prayer before he returns to his Father. He wants us to be there also where he is, not only during eternity, but already in time, which is eternity begun. The Trinity is our dwelling place, our home in the Father's house within us, which we must never leave, end quote. That God invites us to dwell in him inside of our very souls right now and experience his guidance, his intervention, and his power right now. Everything you need to live this life that God has called you is right now. You already have the fullness of God. You tap into it like a branch taps into the vine. Deep, deep rootedness and connection with God in everything. Extending forth from him to touch the world with your leaves, your branches, your shade, your fruit, your nourishment. For those moms who baby wear, I want you to picture Jesus wearing you as you wear your baby. And I know it's going to seem a little bit strange, but bear with me here because it's a really good analogy for where we're at as moms. Some of us have young children or who did, and this might really make sense to you. So I want you to picture Jesus in this, this type of, um, abiding this type of grafting, if you will, and Elizabeth uses that words a lot. Think of it as almost like baby wearing. The baby is so very close to mama as, as she wears her on her chest. Um, she's emotionally grafted to her and very physically um, set, set against her physical body, very close. And she goes about her day, the mom doing her work of motherhood and the baby rests and plays and thinks and does his own work extending out from her or from within her almost for her and in a very real way through her. Mama, of course, tends to the baby's needs, feeding the baby when it's time, telling the baby with her body and with her shushing when it's time to rest and when she needs to, um, when he needs to be rocked and to be, to let himself go to sleep. See, she ensures that he sleeps. Yes, the baby's not a physical part of your body or, or your flesh, but try telling him that. For all intents and purposes in his heart, he's as close to you, moving in you, through you, and because of you, as he's ever been. He's happy there. It's the same with us in Jesus, abiding in him, resting in him, doing the work he gives us as an extension of his own work. How do we get there? It's so simple, Mama. You just look at him, 
all day. You think of him. You spend time with him when you can. You call yourself back to that chamber where he dwells in your soul. If you remember, um, some of you have been at my retreats where you've heard me talk about practicing the presence of God in that interior chamber. chamber. And we talked about that in a podcast last year. Um, If you can kind of draw that back into your mind now when I talk about dwelling within, that's what we're talking about here. You're thinking of him. You, You pray. You talk to him. You bring your sorrows and your struggles and you lay them at his feet and you ask him boldly to intervene. You fill your mind with scripture as it is your weapon against the lies the enemy is relentless and throwing at you. That's how we remain in him, moving closely against him just like a baby who's being worn by his mother, with him, through him, at his initiative. Jesus also asks us in this passage to follow his example in how he prays, obeys, and loves. Jesus was always going back to the Father, going off to pray, praying out loud to God amidst his work, calling himself and his disciples to think on and meditate on God throughout their days. When we constantly place ourselves in the presence of God like he did throughout our days on earth, we begin to be marked by him. We begin to bear his fragrance to the world. Elizabeth calls this divine imprinting, where Jesus begins to infuse us with himself, his virtues, and we begin to look and react more like him. And this is our destiny. As we're filled with him more and more, released from our fears and petty attachments, we begin to be a spring flowing out to others in an ever-increasing manner going from, as scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18, from glory to glory. Okay, but wasn't this obeying and praying and remaining easier for Jesus than for us? I mean, didn't he have more inner reserves than we do? Well, let's take a look at the book of Hebrews to answer that question. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. And then we have that troubling little phrase that Jesus says in scripture, Be ye perfect as I am perfect. We have only to really listen to those words in John 15 to really grasp the truth of what that means. Ironically, it's impossible for you to be perfect as he is perfect. In your own power. And that's the crux of it. Perfect love for God, perfect hunger and dependence on Him, which is what Jesus is talking about when He issues this bold statement, is entirely attainable here on earth. And it doesn't consist in never failing, but in constantly looking to God in victory or failure and seeing Him for what He is the only chance you've got. We love and reach for God because he first loved and reached for us. And Jesus placed his very spirit inside of us. The same spirit that cries Abba, as we hear about in Romans 8.15, Abba means daddy. That same spirit is in him. In him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. Acts 17, 28. Elizabeth tells us, 
to think about where and what we come from, not just where we're going, because the from is vital to understanding the to, if you will. She says, quote, if we thought more about our origin, dependence on created things would seem so futile. In one of the epistles, St. Peter writes that we have been made partakers of his divine nature. And St. Paul exhorts us to hold the beginning of his substance firm until the end. The soul that is aware of, or of this greatness enters into the holy freedom of the children of God. That is, it passes beyond all creative things and beyond itself, end quote. See, here's the truth, Mama. Deep in your soul is a knowledge of God. You know he's trustworthy with every minute detail of your life. And, and you know this in, in a cellular way. And it's not something that's maybe necessarily rational or experiential. You know this because you are a part of him. Your spiritual DNA is the same as God's. You were made in his image and for him alone. But pain and fear and what you see with your eyes often obscures that. That's why it hurts when human love disappoints you and when people hurt you. Hurt is the reaction we have when we're not loved perfectly. See, that right there is the giant blinking red light that shows us what we were made for. Perfect love and to be perfectly loved and to love perfectly right back. See, hurt is a sign of our divine origins. That's our eternal destiny to be in perfect love, to join in that ancient and ever new love that flows between the Trinity. And God extended that to us to flow between him and us. When humans hurt us, it should send us straight back to daddy because only he can love us the way we were made to love and be loved in return. When we go back to him, he makes us able to love those hurtful humans <laughs> with his love. In this way, we become, quote, another incarnation of Christ to the world. As Elizabeth says, both Elizabeth and the Catechism teach us these truths. In her prayer to the Trinity, which is actually referenced in the Catechism, Elizabeth expands on the mysterious ways we do more when we give our lives over to him. We become, as she says, quote, another incarnation of him. And I'm going to read some portions of her elevation prayer, which is um, titled Elevation to the Trinity or Ode to the Trinity in some translations. I'll read a little bit of that for you now. Oh, consuming fire, she says, spirit of love. Let it be done in me that another incarnation of the word may occur in my soul. May I be for him another humanity in whom he may renew his whole mystery. Yet I feel helpless. I ask you to clothe me with yourself, to identify my soul with all the movements of your soul, so that my life may only be a radiance of your life. End quote. Here, we uncover the divine purpose for why God wants us to remain in him and to, quote, be perfect so that he can move through us to the world. 
when Jesus tells us to be perfect, he isn't saying don't ever fall or mess up. He's saying choose love over fear and pride. Perfect love cries out with that deep knowledge of our origin, that something inside of us that knows that God is good. And we choose that knowledge above the fear that our senses, possibly our eyes, ears, and our experiences are creating for us. Jesus has given you of his very flesh and blood, the same spirit that vibrates in his own body. That is what makes us able to rise above sin and fear and experience, even here on earth, this profound freedom and joy because he is living and moving in us. And when we remain in him and we actively seek him, he's able to transform us and the world. If you're struggling with habitual sin or being drawn to the things that are of the world, you don't have a sin problem. You have a love problem. Love of a God stems from the knowledge of God and who you are in him, as Elizabeth tells us. So get to know him and let him grow love in your heart by remaining in him so that, as he says in John 15, he can make you bear more and more fruit, fruit that will last. You do not have to live in habitual patterns of sin and attachment to self and to this world. That is the biggest BS lie that Christians have bought into. I'm just a sinner. I can't help it. Girl, there is royal blood pumping through your veins, through the power of the Eucharist in our lives. And we must ask God to help us walk in that reality and in that power. We can strive for and attain sainthood by the grace of God because that is what God wants for us. Do not deny the power of the cross in your life. Scripture reminds us emphatically of this. Romans 8.2 For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And in 1 Peter 2.24 it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness and by his wounds, you have been healed. Some of you have never heard these truths. They're right there in your Bibles, in your catechism. Pick up and read. Because you're believing all kinds of junk that is not true about you. Abiding in Jesus, that is what will fulfill you, bring you joy, give you a compass and an interior fortitude. And the Lord who tells you to live this way, he walked this way before we did and he showed us exactly how to do it. And then he sent us abundant help to do it after he left. He says, remain in me. And I in you, apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me will bear much fruit. Remaining in him, he will do things in us we never thought possible. And with ease, he gave us a simple path. 
and then he told us to walk it behind him, putting our little feet right where he put his. And he put his very own spirit and flesh in us through the Eucharist to help us do it. He says, do what I do and you will do even more than I did. Elizabeth says to us, quote, Since our Lord dwells in our souls, his prayer is ours. I want to be in constant communion with this prayer, taking my place like a small vessel at its source, at the fountain of life, so that I can then communicate it to souls, letting those torrents of infinite charity overflow. In our scripture passage today, Jesus invites us into his mission as a co-worker, co-laborer, and co-conspirators who have access to his power, joy, and the fire of his grace, which has the power to bust up everything in you that sets itself up against God. That includes sin and attachments and unhealed wounds and all that is keeping you from reaching out to him with hands wide open. God desires to tell you his secrets. And we act as though it's hard to know God's will when that's clearly not the case as we look at this passage today and all throughout scripture. So let's do that real quick. Let's look at some other scriptures um, that reveal that God's heart um, desires to be known. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14 says that God's heart is accessible to us. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. Psalm twenty-five, fourteen: the Lord confides in those who fear him. And in other translations, it says he tells them his secrets. And I love that. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, 3, God says, Come to me, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things which you did not know. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Are you getting the picture of the desires of God's heart when it comes to revealing himself to you? Jesus himself says, I come to reveal the Father, and he brought us as close as we possibly could be to his Father's heart. He goes on and on to reveal his deepest heart in this chapter, his deepest loves, his dreams and plans for the world, and how you're to be involved, and we're going to see that even more in John 17. The point is, he's not hiding from you, Mama. God's will is right in front of you. It's in those little faces and big faces. It's in those crosses and joys. Remaining in Jesus helps you to tap into that and to receive nourishment to be who you're meant to be. To remain in him is to operate the way that you were designed. To not remain in him is to not have the power that you're designed for. To operate under capacity and without the power that is yours in Christ. Elizabeth says to us again, learn to forget yourself. Always. And be very faithful. Live by your will rather than by imagination. If you feel your weakness, 
God wants to make use of that in order to make acts of the will, which you will offer to him as so many acts of love. He so loves you and wants you for his own. Whatever that path is that you're on, you must follow him here below. End quote. God's will can be discovered, and it's in those, and, and it's in this scripture that we find it, and, and we can find it in the questions that we're asking this Lent together. So let's review those again now. What hurts you? Is there anything in my life that grieves you today? How can I make you happy? What do you want from me today? Pray with me. Lord, help me to be a saint. Choose intentional time with to choose intentional time with you over just mindless scrolling and escaping. Help me to choose love over fear, to choose to discipline my mind according to the truth of your word, instead of being swayed by every emotion I experience in a given day. Help me to choose to put on the Lord Jesus and to make no provision for my flesh, my vanities, my self-righteous independence. Help me to choose to give every moment over to you and watch you use every skill, gift, passion, dream, and joy in my soul for your glory. God's will is to make of you another incarnation. Choose to be set free from that prison of your own devices. Let God expand your heart to its full potential in him. That happens by simply remaining in him, as we mentioned above. Moving on in this passage, as we remain in him, Jesus tells us you can expect trouble, even in your own backyard. If you belong to the world, the world would love it its own, but because you do not belong to the world and I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. They will persecute you, he says. We do not belong to this world. Attempts to assimilate with it or be normal or just practice a nominal Christianity are all a participation in a lesser version of yourself. The ruler of the world who, make no mistake, has his own plans, is here and watching. Be sober and vigilant. The enemy prowls like a roaring lion, looking for the sleeping, as one translation says. You do have an enemy, and he has a name. He knows your name, and he's squirming in his seat because he does not want you to find out what you're finding out today, or worse, begin to put it into practice. A woman who abides in Christ consistently is a fatal loss to the devil. The more you dwell in Christ, the more it becomes apparent to the ruler of this world that you are lost to the kingdom of God, a write-off, and all those who you take with you. Oh, he'll put up a fight for you. You can be sure of that. But Christ has already won that battle. He has sealed you and chosen you out, as scripture tells us. The advocate will come, says Jesus. So expect trouble and temptations from your flesh, your senses, and from those in the world who do not understand why you do what you do, but also expect aid from the Holy Spirit to fight that and to rise above that. Expect it. Jesus did. Expect the suffering also that God allows in your life as a part of your sanctification 
and participation in the cross of Christ. You are not of this world. Your origins are divine. Your end is union with God. And this whole life is the process of returning to Him more and more every day. In light of the heart-bearing words Jesus has spoken to us today in this passage, I invite you again to ask Him today to show you how to remain deeply rooted in Him. Think of that baby in his mama's arms and keep that image before you this week. To close today, I want to offer you a benediction from St. Elizabeth of the Trinity's Letters, and I just want to speak this truth over you right now. Yes, little child of my soul, walk in Jesus Christ. You need this broad way. You're not made for the narrow paths of this world. Be rooted in him which means being uprooted from yourself or acting as if you were by denying yourself at every opportunity. Be built up in him far above all that is passing, where all is pure and all is luminous. Be established in the faith. That is, never do anything according to your own impressions or imagination, but only according to the great light of God. Believe that he loves you. And that he wants you to help, he wants to help you in all your struggles that you have to undergo. Believe in his love, in his exceeding charity. Nourish your soul on the great truths of the faith, which reveal to us how rich we are and the end for which God created us. If you live these realities, your devotion will be true. He loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. That, dear little friend, is the truth. End quote. May God bless you this week, my dear mama friends. Remain deeply connected to Jesus, and we will meet back next week to continue our study on the last events, conversations, and prayers of our Lord's life. 